What a blessing to see you here tonight. Please take your Bibles. Join me in Daniel chapter 3. We are going through the book of Daniel on Wednesday nights. We are currently considering the events surrounding the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar set up for all to fall down and worship when the music played. For any who refused, they got a one-way ticket to the fiery furnace. And really, the emphasis from last week was the pressure that exists to conform. There is a move to conform Christianity into one basket. And I don't even like to say Christianity in one basket. You know what I mean. It's the ecumenical movement. Regardless of doctrine, let's all get together. Now, I'm fine that there are some doctrines we can look at and agree to disagree. But we're talking about serious doctrines. The way of salvation. Who is Christ? And this idea that we just need to all join together. It's packaged differently today, but it's the same kind of thing happening here in Daniel 3. And not to mention the ecumenical movement, there's also the interfaith movement that says let's all get together and pray because after all, we're heading to the same place. And when you think about it, we all really serve the same God. And that's what's happening. People are trying to just bring everything together and really in the name of tolerance and inclusivity. So here we are in chapter 3 of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar has set up this 90-foot-high, 9-foot-wide golden image in the plain of Dura for all to worship. He's gathered all his leaders from across all of his provinces, and the punishment for refusing to worship has already been heralded. We finished last time in verse 7, where at this dedication of the image, it appears everything is going along as planned, for Nebuchadnezzar, when the people heard the music, the Bible says they fell down and worshipped. Now, before we get to our text tonight, I want to ask you, how far are you willing to go with the world? Where do you draw your lines? At what point would you say, I can't go any further? Do you have enough of a walk with God that you've considered where you stand? Because, after all, you've got to stand for something or you will fall for anything. We could say it this way in light of our text. You, you have to stand for something or you'll bow before anything. And it's interesting to analyze these things because when we say we stand... Versus what we actually do, they're oftentimes two different things. For example, congregations will amen the preacher when he says prayer should have never been removed from school. And yet, how many of those same churches no longer have a prayer meeting? How can we say public prayer belongs in public schools when it's not even in most churches today? 
We say we believe in prayer, but do we? Now, thank God we still have a church-wide prayer meeting every Wednesday night. Amen. But I wonder how many really wouldn't carry the way. Based upon the difference of our average Sunday morning attendance versus our average Wednesday night attendance, I could surmise that 42% of the church is a little bit indifferent. And I understand some people cannot be here, and I'm not here to rail against that. I understand that. I, I get it when our elderly cannot drive at night. I understand there's illnesses. I understand trips come. I get all that. I do wonder, though, how many of the 58% that are here could care less as well. We say we stand for prayer, but it's absent in most churches today, and this is because it's absent in most homes today. And I'm just giving you one example for you to think. Where do we stand? How far are you willing to go before you say no? I could ask you where you stand on all the hot-button issues, but you know what they are. I'm sure you're informed people. You know what the world has said yes to, and you have a decision to make on where you're going to say no. So one question is, how far are you willing to go with the world on the flip side of that, how far are you willing to go with the Lord? The edict in our text is that anyone who refuses to bow down and worship this image shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. How far will you go with the Lord? Are you willing to be put to death for your identification with God, your relationship with God? Paul said in Acts 21, 13, For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. In Hebrews 13, 3, we are told, Let us go without the camp, bearing his reproach. The question, are you willing to die for your Lord, has largely been a hypothetical question since America's founding. But we can't just view these questions as hypotheticals any longer. The fact is, the world has seen throughout history people martyred for their faith. It's still happening today in several places around the world. And we need to be prepared for the day that it comes to our shores. With this in mind, look with me in chapter 3. Let's read verses 8 through 18. The Bible says, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. So sorry if I didn't give you enough context here, but everything has, has happened. The image is set up. The decree has gone forth. The music has played. People have bowed down. And now we come to verse 8. And the Chaldeans accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. 
There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Have you publicly declared your faith in God? Does your family know? Do your friends know? Do your coworkers know? Do your classmates know? If so, I want you to notice here in verse 8 that people are watching your life. Not everyone's going to care. And not everyone is going to be as observant. But notice, there will be certain Chaldeans, certain people who are very aware of what you say, where you go, what you do, how you conduct yourself. And they're seeking to see, does your behavior match your profession? Now, that can be dangerous in the sense that they may have a twisted idea of what that should look like. But understand, they're watching. Are you who you say you are? There were certain Chaldeans, and they came to the king to accuse the Jews. Specifically, we know from what follows, they're accusing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their Hebrew names. And I can't help but wonder why these Chaldeans were looking around to see if anyone was not bowing down if they were so intently following the command of the king. It's kind of like altar call around here. It's kind of humorous when you see it from this angle. You got the people who are acting like they're not watching, but they're like this, you know. It's like your head's up. You're, you're squinting, obviously. Just open your eyes and look. There's nothing to hide. Nobody at the altar is going to care if you're looking. (laughs) It's just funny. These certain Chaldeans were curious if these certain Jews would bow down because they were not ignorant of what they professed to be. They were not ignorant of where they had been taken captive from. So while they were bowed down, they're checking the scenery to see if they would bow down as well. 
Now, I would imagine these Chaldeans did not like the fact that the king had elevated Hebrew captives to such a position in the empire, or I really should say in this context, in this province, that they would actually run the affairs of Babylon. And, and I'd imagine that just rubbed them the wrong way. And so I believe they're, they're looking for an accusation that they can bring against the king, bring to the king against God's people. And by the way, this will be why people are watching you. Some are watching out of curiosity, but then there are those who are watching because they want to catch you in something. They want to be able to say, that's why I'm not a Christian. That's why I don't go to church. That's why I don't believe in God's Word. And ultimately, that's why I don't believe in God. We see in the Gospels how the scribes and Pharisees, they watched Jesus. They tried to provoke Jesus. They tried to take hold of His words. They sought accusation against Jesus because He said He was from God. Psalm 37, 32 says, The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. Now when you think about it, isn't it interesting that these Chaldeans would seek to bring an accusation against these three men? After all, the Chaldeans wouldn't even be alive if it wasn't for these four men, including Daniel. You'll remember in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar called the Chaldeans and all the wise men, and he said, tell me the dream and the interpretation thereof, and if you don't, I'm going to kill you. And that commandment had gone forth, you're, you're all dead, until Ariot got to Daniel, and Daniel said, I can do this. And he goes before the king, and he buys some time, of course, and they pray, and God answers their prayer. And so when Daniel received that dream, and he received the interpretation, he goes back into the king, but he, he first has to go to Ariok to, to get there, and he told Ariok in chapter 2 and verse 24, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. How easily people can become unthankful. We as children of God extend mercy and grace to others in their time of need. And there you go. I don't like you, and all I want to do is seek an opportunity to take you down. Have you been on the receiving end of it? It's fun, isn't it? Yeah. I guess you forgot that time that I showed up at the hospital at 3 a.m. when your life was falling apart. I guess you forgot that time we cried together at the altar. I guess you forgot that time that I baptized you. I guess you forgot all that. Don't be surprised when it happens. This is how people can be sometimes. And so don't put your confidence in men. And it's happening here, and, and they should really be thankful, but now these Chaldeans are unthankful. They're all too happy to bring accusation against the very man, or excuse me, the very men who are responsible for preserving their lives. Psalm 109, verses 4 and 5. For my love, they are my adversaries. 
but I give myself unto prayer. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Now, what, what's great about this account here is that these certain Chaldeans knew to be watching these three Jews at this event. How did they know to observe these three? They had reason to believe it was unlikely they were going to bow down and worship in the first place. You see, they had a walk with God. They had already demonstrated that they loved God. They had already shown that they didn't worship false gods. And so they knew to be watching. And, and may we have such a testimony in the world that they can know what our answer is going to be before we're ever faced with the situation. I, I knew it would be you in my office. Yep. Sorry, that's a flashback to military days. Well, in verses 9 through 11, these certain Chaldeans come before the king. They recite the decree. Then in verse 12, they bring their accusation against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee, nor served thy gods, nor worshipped the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, strangely, Daniel is missing from this account. We aren't given the reasons why. There are many speculations as to why. I will not bore you with those, but we will be content that if God wanted us to know, it would be in here. I do believe we are safe to think that if Daniel was there, there's no way he would have bowed down. So I just don't want you to run with that idea. Well, he's not mentioned because he must have bowed down. No, I'm, we know his character. Now, this accusation must have been said with a great deal of contempt. There are certain Jews. There are men who are nothing more than captives. Men who are alive, O king, because you spared their life. There are men who have been greatly benefited by your kindness. And you've set them over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They have benefited a great deal. But just look at how unthankful these captives are for your goodness toward them. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. In other words, they don't judge you worthy of their obedience. Remember last week I mentioned how this is more than just a religious test. This is also a civil test. Would everyone obey this king or not? Would they obey the government? Let me put it that way for Americans. The accusation they bring is tantamount to sedition against the king. They're bucking against the king's authority. And the Chaldeans go on to say, They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Well, that's quite a compliment, isn't it? They don't have the same God as we do. We should be known as a people who have a different God than the pagans of this world. Well, no surprise in verse 13, the king became furious 
And in his rage, he commands that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. And now here they are before the king. Proverbs 17, 12 says, Let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. This is a little bit more lengthier of an excerpt, but I really like what Matthew Henry wrote. He wrote this, How little was it the honor of this mighty prince that he had rule over so many nations when at the same time he had no rule over his own spirit. That there were so many who were subjects and captives to him when he was himself a perfect slave to his own brutish passions and led captive by them. How unfit was he to rule reasonable men who could not himself be ruled by reason? True devotion calms the spirit, quiets and meekens it. But superstition and a devotion to false gods inflame men's passions, inspire them with rage and fury, and turn them into brutes. The wrath of the king is as a roaring of a lion. So was the wrath of this king, end quote. I thought that was... A good observation. We see in verse 14 that Nebuchadnezzar asked them if the accusation against them is true. Do you not serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? And in verse 15, the king gives these three men another chance. And I think this speaks volume of their character. It it seems to show to, to the reader that these three men must have been found very trustworthy before the king. I mean, this is a furious man. He's already got the furnace going. And yet, he gives them another chance. I don't think he would have extended the same opportunity to somebody that he didn't have respect for. You see where I'm coming from? But notice the king's statement at the end of 15. This is where he goes off the, off the rails. I mean, he's already off the rails. But And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Well, who's this guy? You talk about puffed up with pride. And at this point, we see how Nebuchadnezzar viewed himself as a god, which was common. And the Caesars went on to do that. And Nebuchadnezzar here views himself as a god, not just a god, but a a god more powerful or at least as powerful as all the other gods. Who's your god that he would deliver you out of my hands? The Pharaoh had the same attitude with Moses and Aaron in Exodus 5.2. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Rabshakeh, the Assyrian, had the same attitude toward Jerusalem in Isaiah 36, verses 18 through 20. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arphad? Where are the gods of Severium? And have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who are they among all the gods of these lands that have delivered their land out of my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. And here we find Nebuchadnezzar in like fashion, utterly consumed with arrogance. And he seems to have taken nothing away from the events of chapter 2. God gave him that dream. And it was more than just 
It was more than just a dream. God gave it to a pagan man. He could have just given it directly to Daniel. But he's working in this man's heart. He's trying to. And he gives this dream to him. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar was told by the interpretation, the kingdom's not going to last forever. There, there's a stone coming and it's going to destroy this. And he, he seems to have just completely forgotten it. Remember, after his dream was revealed and the interpretation given, he said in chapter 2 and verse 47, of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldest reveal this secret. How many times do we give the word and we labor? Every now and then somebody gives mental assent and you walk away wondering, did it really reach their heart? And, and here's this man, he, he gives this voice of, of God being something, and yet here we are now. And he's completely forgotten it. it. It did not reach his heart. And at last, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're put to a final test. Will they obey God's command to have no other gods before Him? Will they once again obey God's command not to bow down? Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. So are they going to compromise? After all, you know, we're not in Jerusalem anymore. I mean, it's not like we have the priesthood. It's not like we have the temple. It's not like it used to be. I think God understands the situation we're in and that this is a unique circumstance. I believe God knows my heart. I mean, if I just bow down, I'm right back up. What's the big deal? It's not really that big of an issue when you think about it. I mean, I could do more staying alive and using my position to help other Jews. But I won't be able to help anybody if I'm burned alive. This is how people think. This is how people reason to justify their compromise. Where are you going to draw the line? How far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to go with the Lord? How true is God's Word in your life? Well, we get their answer loud and clear, don't we? Look at verses 16 through 18 again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Boom. Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm not even going to give you an hour. They said, we don't even need five minutes. I can tell you exactly where I stand. I can tell you my decision already. And isn't it interesting, as we read this, we find that they don't say a word against the king. 
They don't even say anything against His gods. They don't even point out those who are just blindly following this idolatry. They simply magnify God by walking with God and making an unpopular decision for God. And my point is 2 Timothy 3.12, which says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You see, you don't have to go looking for persecution. Just live godly and it will find you. You don't have to be loud and proud in order to make a stand for Jesus. Now, I believe we're to call out sin. That's biblical. Don't misunderstand me. But there's a way to do it with the right attitude. Grace seasoned with salt. Well, they're so certain in who God is and who God is in their life, they say we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. (laughs) They don't even pause. I love this. The rulers of this world may say, who is God that I should fear Him? But the believers of this world who are walking closely with God will say, who is man that I should fear Him? Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him that but rather fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So are you careful to answer people? I've been there because we have to grow. Are you careful when it comes up? Are you hesitant in how you're going to respond? Are you calculating? Or are you more concerned with answering to God. When God's Word is our authority and guide, we don't have to be careful in answering anybody. Even when the government comes along and says we're non-essential. We should be able to say on the authority of God's Word, I'm not careful to answer you. The Bible's clear that we're to assemble together. When the government says you can't pray publicly in Christ's name or you can't preach that homosexuality is a sin or you can't counsel those struggling with transgenderism that God has made them both male and female, then we should be able to say back to those, I'm not careful to answer you. I know what God said. And God said to pray in His name. God said that sodomy is a sin. And God said He created them male and female. I don't have to be careful to answer you. I'm not saying I have to be a jerk. But I don't have to be careful to answer you. And if their commands are accompanied with a form of punishment, then we need to understand that God is able to deliver. One way or the other is what they're saying. He may deliver us out of your hand. He may take us home. But either way, O King, we're delivered. And if we have to suffer, we'll be delivered eventually because we will, we will be delivered from this body of sin. And we will be united with our Savior face to face. And I know this because I have been born again into His kingdom. Finally tonight, we see in verse 18, 
how they recognized this was a big deal in God's sight. This was more than just bowing and getting back up and saying, well, at least I can still do good. No, they, they recognized that there was no way to justify bowing down before this idol and be right in God's sight. Because they say this, we will not serve thy gods. You say, it's just a bow. You know, I'm just in a foreign country. I'm just showing respect. You better be careful. This would have been more than just an outward act in the sight of God. This, this would have been doing service to these false gods. And this is a line that they say, we cannot cross. We cannot do this and be right with God. Now look, you got to understand, this started all the way back in chapter 1. I can't even eat your food and be right with God. What? Yeah. Now, I understand we're to seek peace with all men. As much as life within you, live peaceably among all men. I'm for that. But there comes a point when the Holy Ghost will say to you, you can't go there. You can't do that. You cannot say that. And then you have a decision to either please God or please men. So prepare yourself, church. If you're not already prepared, Because the culture is going to keep telling us to bow down. Why? Because it's worked already. So how far will you go before you say, I can't go any further? How far will you go with the Lord? Where will you stand? Jesus said in Mark 12, 30, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength, this is the first commandment. We need to let the love of Christ constrain us. Know where you stand. I know it's Wednesday night and I should just let y'all sleep anyway. So I won't say anything. Some are going to fail in that hour of temptation. You better know where you stand and you better know why you stand where you stand. May we be found faithful. Let's pray.